Good morning. Good morning. I- imitation is flattery. I, 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 you know, I was like, wow, uh, a little, you know, yin and yang here. You, you, you wear it better. <laughs> so, I wear it because uh, it makes me look a little thinner. At least I think it does. So. <laughs> you look nice. Oh, thank you. So do you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, this is Pastor Bill Woolsey. Uh, we invited him to be part of our 60th celebration uh, series of sermons uh, because he was actually a, a son of this congregation. And what that means is that he was part of the youth group when he was a wee little lad. I, uh, I started, my family and I started at Bethany and when I was in fourth grade at Jerry Joslin Elementary. Okay. Yeah. Good years. That was a while back. <laughs> yeah, it was a while back, yeah. And so, uh, you know, and he's going to share a little bit of that journey uh, that he had with Bethany as part of his message as well. But just so you know, one of the things that uh, Pastor Woolsey is also responsible for is he oversees a ministry called 5-2. It's a parachurch organization that uh, equips and trains leaders and comes alongside leaders in the church or in business that want to reach people for Christ. And he provides support and and training and mentoring uh, in that process. And so he does lots of wonderful things. And in fact, Bethany, through our tithes and our offerings here, uh, we actually support this ministry. And so through your gifts, uh, we help people come to know Christ through 5-2. And so it's yes. a very wonderful ministry. And we think thankful to be a part of it with you. And thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, actually, let me pray for you. Yeah. <laughs> You need prayer. No, I'm kidding. Yes. (laughs) We all do. Uh, Dear Holy Father, I just uh, thank you and uh, praise you for Pastor Woolsey, um, for his love for the church, uh, for the work that he does through 5-2, for his vision and for his leadership. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks and praise. And as he brings the word to us, may we reflect on his words and the calling that you've placed in each and every one of our lives, that we continually serve faithfully where you lead us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much uh, for being here this morning as we worship God, as we hear his word and really meditate and consider his invitations to us and his promises to us. My, my brother-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer two weeks ago, last Friday. He was wrapping up treatment for prostate cancer, had received a clean bill of health as recently as the beginning of August. But then he had a backache that started developing in late August. It got to the point two, two Fridays ago that it was so bad he couldn't get out of bed. They ambulanced him to the hospital and a CT scan revealed that he had cancer in his liver and lungs, on his ribs, on his spine. His back was hurting so much, fractured actually, because the cancer had eaten away part of his spine. Ten days ago, he received the prognosis he had maybe a few weeks left. Rick thought he was going to become a grandfather, a man who grew old with his wife, who saw his sons and daughters have sons and daughters, spent his retirement years managing the rental properties that he had accumulated that would provide for his family in those golden years. His wife thought that they would become one of those couples who cared for each other, looking more and more like each other the longer they became one. And now she'll become a widow, perhaps for a season, perhaps for decades, who knows. What she thought she was going to become is not a reality either. From start to finish, 
life is a journey of becoming. We like to think that become is a destination location. I want to become a grandma. I want to become an Instagram influencer. My oldest son wants to become a partner in his firm at the ripe old age of 35. We set goals, nothing wrong with that. We work towards them, nothing wrong with that. We were designed to work. God created us to work. But when, if we're fortunate, we attain those goals, we become, then what? Or if we don't become, then what? We like to think become is a destination location, like a well-designed home, fitting us like a glove, providing safety and satisfaction, one wonderful package. It's really more of a drive-by or a drive-through. You know, like that Dairy Queen in the middle of the road on your trip that you're so thankful for, but once you get there and you have your, your cherry and pineapple malt, which are really good, by the way, so don't diss them, you look around and you go, I really wouldn't want to live here. All of life is a drive-through on your way to something more. And Jesus made it where even death is a drive-through. Becoming never ends this side of heaven. It's how the world works. It works that way for people. It especially works that way for congregations who are celebrating a 60-year journey. So we would do well to remember the journey for Jesus' church doesn't end until he returns. Now, as Martin mentioned earlier, I have the privilege of being a son of Bethany. I initially thought that I was going to be an engineer, started at Texas A&M University. Whoop, no, okay, thank you. Good, good. <laughs> pastor Knippa and Pastor Harms encouraged me, though, to become a pastor. They're seeing something in me that I couldn't articulate led me to my 35-year journey as a pastor. Their love for people who don't know Jesus contributed to me starting and now leading this network that helps people meet Jesus. We coach women and men like you, regardless of what your occupation may currently be. We coach you to grow churches and start ventures that introduce more and more people to Jesus that make heaven a more full place. Our initial goal was a thousand ventures that introduced a hundred thousand people to Jesus by 2030. But since we've already introduced over 99,000 people, 99,500 and change, and still have seven years to go, we've upped our goal from a hundred thousand to one million people. One million people who through our efforts and through the efforts of people like you meet Jesus and discover a family that they can belong to forever. And thank you, thank you for your partnership in the gospel in supporting our work, helping us reach one million people even faster. Pastor Anthony last week, he spoke about the power of belonging. Belonging is the secret sauce of Christianity. Belonging, being part of a relationship, a family, it almost always happens before believing Helping people belong before they believe, that's the power of the church. That's the power of community, of living with people, of getting to, to understand how they work and what they think, and slowly, all of a sudden, discovering that we 
believe what they believe. That we are brought along through relationship into this family called Jesus. We all love to belong. Whether it's to a soccer club or a sorority or an alumni group, our hearts long to belong. That's what makes Jesus and this thing called Christianity so wonderful. There's a huge initiation fee, but you don't have to pay it. And no one can ever kick you out. You're guaranteed membership to belong forever. And your journey in becoming more and more the image of Jesus, this image of Christ that he has put in us, your journey along that path all flows from, is rooted in your belonging to his family. This gift of baptism is what ties you there. It births you into Jesus' family. It gives you everything Jesus has to give. His life, his death, especially his resurrection. It's yours. He has made it yours. Irrevocable. You even get a spirit living now in you, helping you on this journey of, of becoming more and more like Jesus, helping you simply rest in Him, to rest in the reality that you belong to a God who became like you so that you could become like Him. Jesus became like us so that we can become like Him. The network that I lead, I travel a lot, especially this fall, and a few Saturdays ago, I was sitting in the Detroit airport, and my Facebook algorithm, personally designed for me, you two have one, it's Facebook's gift to you, it brought uh, on my feed a video clip from a talk show featuring Tom Hanks discussing one of his most famous movie roles. Check this out. You were coming this time, that in Forrest Gump, the famous voice that you use as, as Forrest, it came from a specific person. Young Michael Connor Humphreys, who played young Forrest Gump, we were trying to... <laughs> Bob Zemeckis came to me and said, hey, we got a problem on this. There's Michael right there, Sally and, uh, Sally and Michael. Aww. He was a very young man. He's now a veteran. He served in Afghanistan. Uh, Bob said, okay, we got a problem here. You're going to have to teach this kid how to talk the way you want to talk. And I thought, why don't... Why don't I just talk the way he talks right now? And so we started hanging out with him. And he was from uh, Mississippi, deep in Mississippi. And he had, this, he had this hard G at the end of his, if he said it wasn't thinking, it was thinking. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't making, it was making. And said, what does, uh, what does your, your father do? Michael? My, my, my daddy makes grease. That's what he said. <laughs> and he said, he make, he, I don't understand. Is grease something you make? Yes. <laughs> he says, what do you do with grease? Well, grease goes into all different sorts of products. <laughs> I just said, well, like, what products? Oh, grease goes into lipsticks. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not, this is it. This is it. <laughs> so somewhere I have cassettes, hours and hours of me just making chit-chat with a very young Michael, Michael Connor. But he doesn't talk like that anymore. No, 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 he doesn't talk. It was just, a, you know, he was seven, eight years old. He was a young man, and that's, that's the, that was the vernacular that we spoke in, and it was priceless. Oh, that's adorable. It's the vernacular that we spoke in. He spoke in, it was priceless. And you get a sense that Hanks fell in love with this little boy. He was perfect. And so he became like the little boy. He took on his vernacular. He spent time with him. He appeared for all practical purposes 
to be the grown-up version of the seven-year-old little actor. It was easier for Hanks to become like him than for him to become like Hanks. It was infinitely easier for Jesus to become like us than for us to become like Jesus. We can't. On our own, we keep sabotaging ourselves. Our, our best intentions routinely get shot down by our own hands or mouths. Jesus became like us. He took on our way of living, walking like us, laughing like us, working like us, weeping like us, suffering like us, getting angry like us, overwhelmed like us. But he didn't stop there. He also took on our brokenness, our lack of faith, our lack of trust that God is good, really good, our lack of trust that God will work good in our lives in spite of initial appearances. He took all of that. And in Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he became for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He became our wisdom, that rare trait that when you see it in someone, they, they just know how the world works. They know how to navigate the world. They bring wisdom to bear. He became our righteousness, making us perfect in God's eyes. He became our holiness, replacing our disobedience with His obedience. He became our redemption. Restoring the most fundamental relationship you and I have, the relationship that shapes every other relationship. Your relationship with your Creator, with your Father. Your Father who desires that every day you would look more and more like the image of His Son that He has placed in you. That the image who shows up in the mirror every morning, like mine did this morning at 4.45, I live a ways away, and so when you, you get up and you look at yourself in that early morning mirror where you still have the creases all on your face and a little bit of stuff on your mouth, you know, that, that your image each and every day when you look in that mirror will look more and more like Jesus. He, when, he, when He is present in your life, that that image would reflect Him and that more and more people would take on that image as well. John the Baptist in this morning's Gospel reading reminds us that central to us becoming more and more the image of Jesus means we become less and less the image of us. Listen again to this passage from John chapter 3. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said... I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom, John says. That's Jesus. The friend who attends the bridegroom, that's me, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John realizes that life is not, it's not his wedding. This isn't his party. It's Jesus' party. Jesus is the one calling people into a relationship with him. John is the best man. He's perfectly content 
to not be the center of attention nor attraction. And John realizes that for him to live out his calling, he, John, needs to fade into the background. More Jesus landscapes and fewer selfies. The longer I am in Jesus, the more that Jesus should shine through me and and soften my rough rough edges and take some of the, the bite out of my voice, replace the disdain in my heart with compassion and understanding, replace the revenge in my heart with grace and forgiveness. Which, as John says, results in joy. There's this interesting sprinkling of joy in that passage. Most of us think that the higher the seat the more joy. The more authority, the more joy. The greater the successes, the more joy. John says, want more joy? Grow smaller. The Apostle Paul said it this way in his letter to the church in Galatia, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, becoming more like Jesus flows from this new reality that Jesus lives in me. I no longer live. I no longer call the shots. I no longer make the decisions solo. I know who's in charge in my life, and it's not me. It's Jesus. When you and I live into that reality, when we rest in that reality, that it's not us, it's Jesus. It's not me running the show, it's it's Jesus. Trusting in Jesus' plan for our lives, allowing Him to work His will through us, that, friends, keeps the suffering of this world that would want to set up shop in your heart, that would want to move in a throne into your heart, that would want to overshadow and shade every aspect of your heart, it keeps that at bay. Listen again to Paul from this morning's reading here. This one from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica and he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This church was going through intense suffering, and yet when they heard of Jesus and they received this message of His resurrection and the power of His Spirit, then it brought them joy in the midst of what they were going through. Joy in spite of suffering. Joy in addition to suffering. Joy while suffering attracts people because it's not normal. Ever since COVID, uh, when we kind of got locked down, you know, and I live out in the country, and so... Uh, was locked, literally locked down. Uh, I set up a, a shop uh, in, in my garage for exercise and stuff. So I kind of become a fan of Apple Fitness. Used to ride a road bike. Can't really ride a road bike out where I live. And so I put it on a trainer. And there are a number of instructors 
that Apple has on their app. And there's one, her name is Kim. Kim is probably, I don't know, five, a little over five foot tall. And her claim to fame is she used to be in a rock and roll band. So she knows the words of every song on the playlist, which is good when you're sweating and you think you're going to, you know, drop off the bike somehow. She's got you and singing along. But also the reason she's a trainer in the cycling exercise area is that she used to race what is called crit racing, criteria, criterium racing. It's a bike race that happens on a fixed gear bike. A fixed gear bike, unlike a road bike, and a road bike you get tired, you just kind of coast and your feet sit there. A fixed gear bike, the, the pedals are always moving. As long as the wheel's moving, the pedals are moving. It's incredibly exhausting. It's only for beasts, and she is a real beast. When I hop on the bike in the morning, already I'm figuring I'm not going to be able to do it. There's no way I can handle the 30-minute routine, the 45-minute routine when my heart goes from 70 to 150. But somehow with her modeling this, with her encouraging this, with her pulling me forward, I finish it in spite of the minimal suffering that I thought was horrible. Paul tells the Thessalonians that the joy that they demonstrated in spite of the suffering was part of this revelation that Jesus was at work in their lives. That joy spoke louder in their lives than the suffering they were going through. Suffering is the universal language. Everyone suffers. But not everyone has hope in suffering. Not everyone experiences joy in suffering. Joy is not some happy, clappy emotion. The original definition of happiness was not giddiness. It was to be at peace. It was satisfaction. To be at peace in life. To be at peace with not being in charge. Not being in control. Not being at the front of the line. Becoming more like Jesus, following Jesus, isn't based on some list of to-dos as much as it is simply to let Jesus and his incredible love and grace for people to live in me and through me, to let the truth that he is for me and will never be against me create a deep well of satisfaction, of contentment in my life. It's to know you are Christ and Christ lives in you. And there's one last piece of becoming that, that is near and dear to my heart, and especially in this network that I lead that helps more people get to know Jesus. There's a particular strategy that we teach, and it's especially appropriate for us today in this culture in which we live. From 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win those, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to win all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul was willing to become like people unlike him.
to not let his prejudices, his opinions, his religiosity keep people from experiencing his incredibly welcoming God. Friends, people long for someone to welcome them. They, they long for someone to accept them as they are. To not let my failings snuff out your affection for me. To not let my brokenness break your love for me. Jesus always led with grace and hospitality with people. He never led with superiority or better than, unless you thought you were better than. The church today needs to be aware of thinking it's better than, especially as the culture and the church grow farther and farther apart. Where is the church going in this culture that's done with church? And the, church, the culture truly is becoming more and more done with church. I'm concerned that church would become done with culture, with the crowd, that unless culture changes to become like us, we're done with it. Unless people change to become like us, we're done with them. That's the antithesis of God's approach. He didn't call people to become until after they had belonged and believed. And even then, he gave, him, they, he gave them his spirit to help them become. So Bethany, as you move into the next 60 years, when it's 2082, what will you become? What will you be willing to give up? What will you be willing to embrace so that people know you truly love them, that their God truly loves them? Will you expect them to become like you and come to you? Or will you be willing to become like them and go to them? What will that look like in your life and the life of this ministry? Friends, our ultimate goal in life is to help people, as many as possible, receive a body like Jesus that is indestructible. By the time we all get to this resurrection of the dead, we want to have helped as many people receive the resurrection of the dead as possible. That's our goal. But the journey getting there is full of cancer and disappointments, sometimes beyond bearing. My brother-in-law, Rick, he became a resident of heaven yesterday afternoon. No more becoming on earth. Well done, good and faithful servant. For us, however, the journey continues to unfold. It's a journey best lived in Jesus. Letting Jesus live through you until the day you live fully with him. May that be your life. May that be this ministry until we all see Jesus again. Amen.